Welcome to Wage Cucking with JMO. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Wage Cucking with JMO. Uh, today we have Anders from MarginFi. Anders, how you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we get started on talking about MarginFi, uh, give me a little bit about your background as to how you got into crypto. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I started following crypto like way back in like 2017 uh, when I was in high school, but I wasn't like super uh, like technically in tune with how anything worked at the time. So kind of like brushed it off and then uh, picked it back up like around 2020-ish and then uh, was just like following along while I was in school. And then uh, I had a buddy get a job in the space. And so um, he like dropped out and was like telling me kind of how exciting it was working in there. And then uh, like November 21, like very top, uh, ended up joining MarginFi as like one of the first hires and uh, yeah, has gone from there. Um, so been almost two years now, um, we ended up starting another company together and then we uh, have grown quite a bit. I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about that on this podcast, but that's mm -hmm. kind of how it all started. Uh-huh. Uh, so for the listeners or watchers who don't know, uh, MarginFi is um, at its core, I think, a borrow-lend platform um, with, uh, I'd say, a, a unique take on the whole uh, borrow-lend DAP economy, um, and it's built on Solana. So I, I guess the first question t uh, today is, uh, what was the thought process of building on Solana versus, let's just say, Ethereum or uh, other layer ones or even Ethereum layer twos? Um, what initially drew uh, you guys to the Solana chain? Yeah, I think with Solana, it's uh, it's obviously like a performance pitch. And I think mm -hmm. the when you really start like diving into the metrics behind everything, it's kind of ridiculous just how much better Solana is from like just like a raw throughput perspective. And that's only going to get better over time with things like Fire Dancer. Um, so like if you look at uh, like like L2 TPS or fees, like it's like a 10x, 100x difference. And then mm -hmm. even on the like decentralization side, because like everyone, everyone tries to claim that like, you know, with your trilemma, like oh, Solana yeah. is like fast, but it's like it's this, centralized. Yeah. yeah. And then they're running like one server on AWS for their sequencer <laughs> and then calling that like crypto somehow. So uh, like even on that side, it's like surprisingly decentralized. And so I think the performance is so compelling. And even if you like use it, it's kind of funny, like uh, once every quarter when there's something like actually interesting, like from a trading perspective that happens on Solana. Um, like all these people that trade on ETH will come over and they'll tweet like, oh, I forgot how like fast and nice to use this is. Um, so I think that like it's very, very new. Like it only launched uh, like March 2020, whereas ETH was like uh, like 2014, 2015-ish. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's actually that's like quite a bit of time when you consider like how quickly these technologies compound. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's like a lot of people are kind of fading it because of that. But I think that the tech is just like so compelling and it's still mm -hmm. so early in its life cycle um, that it's just too attractive not to see kind of what could happen with this ecosystem. Yeah, that makes sense. We talk a lot about um, various layer ones on this podcast and the, the one criticism a lot of people have of Ethereum or even Ethereum layer twos is that it, it prices out quite a bit of the, the population that you know doesn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to be transacting on a on a daily basis, which is in my eyes fundamental for at least the the growth of protocols, but but also bringing in new users that you know want to use crypto, want to interact with decentralized finance, but you know don't have that type of money to put in as their uh, initial capital. Um, so I guess talk a little bit about MarginFi, um, exactly what you guys are trying to build, and uh, I guess a little bit about how you differentiate yourself with the other like major borrow-lend platforms or the major DeFi platforms in the space. Yeah, so MarginFi has always been um, a lending protocol of sorts. So when we first launched, it was like uh, the prime brokerage model. So mm -hmm. we allowed people to trade on different perp dexes and then cross margin between them. Mm -hmm. So you could be like long, the drift, sole perp and short, the mango, uh, 
sole perp and you could be like delta neutral on two different exchanges so we like mm -hmm. did that and then that was 2022 so it was like uh, exchanges were blowing up left and right and like market makers were pausing because of different stuff and so uh by the end of the year it was just like everything was kind of paused more or less mm -hmm. and uh so we said like all right like we we built this but it doesn't seem like this is kind of where the market is for this type of platform uh but we thought that just like the very like kind of core borrow and like over collateralized compound type experience could be improved upon and so we specifically looked at like the risk management side and how can we like avoid a lot of these uh like kind of frightening liquidation scenarios mm -hmm. that have happened with borrow lens like you look at uh like Ave with the Curve founders position, or like yeah, depositing like half yeah. the the float of Curve into one pool. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> just yoinking like a hundred mil out of it on the other side. Yeah, uh, there's like that Venus account still. There's like mm -hmm. the Solend Alameda account, and that's like it doesn't. You don't need to be that sophisticated to know that like someone probably shouldn't borrow a hundred mil against something that's a liquid. But mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of other interesting stuff I could talk about that we do. So. Yeah, we launched um, this like over collateralized thing in uh, February of this year. Uh, so still somewhat recently. And then, yeah, just been growing it from here. And mm -hmm. then I think that like uh, it's a pretty simple product right now. There's like a lot of more interesting stuff going on in the background with it, but definitely like hoping to bring back the like prime offering. And then we have a couple other products we're looking to launch around it as well. Yeah, very cool. Um, so on that note, I wanted to talk a little bit about risk management. Um, I feel like risk management on a lot of these borrow lend platforms, as you alluded to earlier, uh, is really important just because it's very easy to generate bad debt on the platform. Uh, basically, um, the way bad debt is generated is someone deposits a large position in a semi-illiquid coin that they borrow like a real asset, and then the, the, the price of the liquid coin gets to a point where it needs to be liquidated, but there's enough liquidity possibly on on chain for liquidation. So a, a lot of the, the bigger platforms have, have had this issue. Um, I, I know MarginFi does a few things. So they have different collateral weight based on asset. They also have like isolated pools versus global pools. Um, and I feel like they're pretty selective in terms of what assets they put a lot of weight on or even what assets they that they, they list as, you know, like a, a borrow lend pair. Um, so, yeah, talk a little bit about um, what the process is like or, or how MarginFi handled this. I mean, like if how does MarginFi essentially decide which coins can be used as collateral, which ones can, can be used as cross collateral and then the, the whole um, the whole collateral weight percentage but basically collateral weight means um, if you deposit a certain amount of the asset what percentage of that asset can be used as uh, as like a USD value collateral for a borrow uh, yeah so talk a little bit about that yeah so I'd say the like core of the the risk engine is we have this really good picture of like liquidity on chain in real time so like mm -hmm. for any given token we have we know like like second by second like how much could be sold into the market at like what slippage and then what depth and so uh you kind of you like need that to know uh what you can liquidate without incurring bad debt and so mm -hmm. that like liquidity data is kind of the foundation of everything and so from there we can uh we can set like different collateral weights based on it we can set deposit caps um, and then as far as the listing process goes, so it was like pretty conservative, but with this, uh, this isolated pool model, um, it like really silos the risk because we don't have mm -hmm. to like liquidate, um, whatever, like shit coin someone is trying to borrow against. Like if you yeah. just say like, oh, you can borrow that, well, then you don't have to like worry about the liquidity as much. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we started listing like more of those, like we listed that, uh, like, uh, Opos coin, I think. Mm -hmm maybe 36 hours after it went live. And then this week we're actually, we're just like listing one token a day. So I think that uh, with like all this risk stuff, um, we definitely wanna 
like use it so that you can have a better experience as a user, even if it's like a smaller market, because if like the whole pitch is, we just say like, oh, you can't borrow as much. Like, yeah, maybe mm -hmm. it's safer, but people probably won't be as excited yeah. about that. So now what we're doing is we're going like really wide with the listings. And then uh, we've been doing a bunch of new simulations recently. And I think we'll be able to offer like more leverage on uh, kind of like your blue chip tokens uh, than you'd be able to get on other protocols. Yeah, I, I think that's an important concept. Uh, people have to, or at least protocols have to juggle a little bit because the end user wants to be as capital efficient as possible with like their collateral and, and what they're doing. But then uh, the the protocol has to also take into consideration the the, the overall risk of, of that asset being used as collateral and, and figure out a sort of middle ground where it allows the user to be capital efficient, but it also protects the protocol from, you know, basically going under if large positions are unable to be uh, liquidated. So I, I was a little bit curious about um, the, the idea of the isolated pools versus uh, the global pools and the collateral weight. Um, is there a process in which you decide um, a certain asset goes in an isolated pool versus not? Um, just because I'm thinking, if, if you're worried about the liquidity of, of an asset to a point where you put it in an isolated pool, it seems like you can also just lower the collateral weight quite a bit to a point where like the liquidation risk is far less and still have it in a global pool. Yeah, so we start every asset we list um, as an isolated pool, just to kind of like ease it into the protocol, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And so like there's some, uh, there's actually, there's a few tokens in there right now that have like really good, like relative amounts of liquidity and they'll probably get upgraded in the future. It's mm -hmm. kind of nice, like the way it's set up is we can basically just like update a line of code and then like no one has to like migrate their assets or anything like that. Uh, mm -hmm. when it does move to the main pool. But yeah, what we do is we'll start everything in as an isolated pool. And then uh, just based on like various outputs from the risk model, uh, then we can like up it and it could be turned into something that's like collateral for users. Mm -hmm. And then all the liquidations that happen are handled on Solana, um, essentially DEX is built on Solana, like that the, there's any settlement off chain? Yeah, so every like all of our risk model stuff and then is based on on-chain liquidity because mm -hmm. uh, we only have like on-chain liquidators right now. And then mm -hmm. we've explored with some parties building out like off-chain liquidations. Um, mm -hmm. That's not live right now, but that would for some assets like uh, say just like spot sold, that would obviously unlock a lot more liquidity. And then mm -hmm. uh, maybe like uh, like the LSTs as well, because you can turn them into spot yeah, sold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, that definitely makes sense. Um, yeah, so, in, in yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, we, um, it's not live right now, but I think we definitely want to explore like off chain liquidations just because it, it'd be way more uh, throughput for everything. Uh, so, I, I haven't used um, Solana DEXs that much uh, since, um, basically, since, since FTX blew up. And then, you know, like I was used at the time, I was using stuff like, like Serum, Orca, I, I forget which exact ones were, were on uh, Solana. Um, but one issue I feel that Solana uh, Decentralized Finance has always had was the, the on-chain liquidity was, you know, basically a, a small fraction of what it is on ETH or even e Ethereum layer twos. Um, do you guys find that as sort of restraining to what you can do uh, on your platform? Yeah, I mean, it, so it's definitely way less liquid. Um, and since like everything we built the risk on is based on liquidity, like the caps uh -huh. are a lot smaller. So uh, I think like if we just like d didn't care and we just said like no caps, we could grow uh, a lot more, but you just like can't liquidate all of that in mm -hmm. a reasonable fashion. And so it's a constraint right now, but I think that there's like, there's a lot of paths to that improving in the future and it's already starting to improve. So like a lot of the assets we have, um, they've like gradually increased caps over time just because mm -hmm. liquidity's generally been trending upward again. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like a very nascent ecosystem for that perspective. Have you had any situations, I guess not to the scale of say the, the Solen situation where um, 
with a, a deposit of Solana and borrowing USD. But but have you had any like pretty big positions on your protocol where at some point it felt like at least it got a little bit risky and you know you're scrambling a little bit to to make sure that the if a liquidation did happen it wouldn't cause bad debt on the platform um uh, not really honestly because that was like the whole thing we were trying to prevent um and we yeah. have like a couple uh like multi-million dollar accounts like with borrows on them um on the platform right now but yeah we haven't had like one account that we're like oh this like this could be a serious problem just because like that was the whole idea is you like never make it yeah have the potential to be a problem so we'll see i mean we're, we're monitoring everything but so far like haven't seen it happen yeah i i guess that that's good if you're um if like the end goal of the protocol uh, if you go into it thinking that we need to avoid situations like this. Um, it, it may stunt the the growth of the protocol a little bit, but like at the end of the day, uh, it's better to you know have an operational protocol than to b blow it out with like one or two large positions that basically destroy a protocol. Yep, that's the that's the trade off we're making right now, um, and I think that like DeFi needs to evolve like that a little bit. Like last cycle, like everyone just got so levered on chain and off chain. And I, I think like every cycle people get levered, but I think that there's like a bit more sophisticated ways to go about it. And it doesn't need to have these like crazy untanglings every time. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so next, wanted to talk a little bit about how the collateral um, on, on the flat platform, at least the, the Oracle pricing works. Um, I, I know with a lot of other borrowland platforms, uh, a, a big issue was, um, so, so, so basically, in general, these platforms use a Oracle price to determine the, the value of the collateral um, to, to a point where if it gets in liquidation range, it gets flagged or it, it gets liquidated. Um, there have been quite a few issues in the past with, with other platforms where either the, the, the Oracle price isn't in sync with the on-chain price, like the global Oracle price can spit out one number, but like at the point of liquidation, the, the number can be completely different or like certain outliers in pricing cause liquidations that shouldn't happen um, even on-chain just because like the Oracle price spits out the uh, the wrong the, the the Oracle feed spits out the wrong price. Uh, so, so talk a little bit about like the your Oracle providers and how you handle risk for that. Yeah, so we use uh, Pith where we can, and then we use Switchboard for the like longer tail stuff that's not supported by Pith. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things Pith does that they added um, a little while ago now, but I think there's it's still like kind of under discussed is they have uh, these like confidence intervals for prices. So if you mm -hmm. go on our app and you like expand the detail on it, you can like see in real time uh, the like band that it's spitting out. And basically mm -hmm. that's just saying that uh, like if we had to put one price on it, it would be like this Oracle price, but it's mm -hmm. probably like somewhere within this range. And so for the assets in the main pool, what we do is uh, when you're like, Borrowing against one of those will take the bottom of that, just saying like, all right, this is probably worth like, we're going to assume this is worth like the least amount possible. And then when you're borrowing it, it takes the top of it. So it's saying mm -hmm. like, we're going to assume this is like as big of a position as it might be. Um, so by like using that range, uh, that's like kind of max conservative on our end to take mm -hmm. the, it's not like taking a spread, but basically taking like the the a certain confidence interval to, to to reduce risk based on exactly like what the asset is and what you want to do with it, either borrowing or or providing collateral. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's like main pool, um, and I think the the intervals make it like harder to manipulate in general. Um, but I, I guess like the bigger vector for manipulation is something that's like very low liquidity. Um, where, you know, maybe the, the pool has like a hundred K, like someone could definitely mess with that if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we just like, don't, uh, we, we don't put everything in the main pool is because uh -huh. like, if someone could easily manipulate it, then, uh, obviously there's like, there, there's been many such cases of that where yeah, it's like sure. something illiquid and then, uh, someone just like corner supply and then borrows all of the stables against it that are in the platform. 
Uh, is there something specific about Pith that um, you guys like to choose them as your Oracle provider? Um, I only ask this because if you ask a lot of um, at least the, the big DeFi players, mostly Ethereum based, they'll tell you that basically if you don't run your your platform using the Chainlink Oracle, you're you're basically open to um, Oracle manipulation and, and hacks. And then every time uh, another third party Oracle gets, you know, exploited, I feel like is, is, is the wrong word, but like uh, the, the Oracle price causes issues on a platform. Um, th those people are going to be the most vocal on crypto Twitter telling you that like, th this is obviously going to happen because you're, you're not, using Chainlink. Um, yeah, so, so talk a little bit about Pith and like, I guess the unique advantages it has um, for what you're trying to do. Yeah, so I, I think I would put Pith and Chainlink in the same bucket and then uh, Switchboard's the other one we use and that's like a little mm -hmm. different um, because both Pith and Chainlink, uh, they'll pull from like off-chain venues, right? So like it'll take the Solana price on like Orca and uh, say Phoenix, but also take like the Coinbase, Coinbase, Bybit, uh, OKX, like all those other prices, which yeah. you, you're not going to be able to like manipulate all of those all at once unless you have mm -hmm. like a very serious capital to do something like that. So uh, Chainlink does that as well. And that's like actually that's what saved the the Curve founder and Ave is because Curve mm -hmm. was getting like dumped, dumped, dumped on chain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was like below his price, but on yeah, uh, yeah. Binance or whatever, it's like just a little yeah, bit the, above. Yeah, the, 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 so the spread, like the spread between out. Curve yeah. on uh, centralized exchanges and like the DEXs was like, I think like 40 or 50% at, at one point, which is insane for such a liquid coin. Yeah, right. I, I don't know how that didn't, I mean, it get closed eventually, but pretty crazy yeah. orb there. Um, so yeah, that's why we use Pith is just because... Uh, they do that. And then I haven't seen, I only remember one like Pith exploit and it wasn't really Pith's fault. Basically like the protocol using Pith didn't uh, use like those confidence intervals we were talking yeah. about. And so like when you just like take one price, um, yeah, it, it's just way more vulnerable. So yeah, that's kind of, that's the thought there yeah I, I actually remember remember that. And um, I, I feel like a lot of people really went at uh, Pith after that happened without understanding the, you know, the, the nuances or the details uh, of the exploit. Uh, basically, um, at the at the point where an Oracle price is is like a price is fed, um, a lot more goes into it than the raw number being correct or incorrect. And I feel like that's what people don't realize. I mean, because like, I feel like there are thousands and thousands of crypto markets and a lot of them are inefficient. It's it's really difficult to figure out like a, a, a correct formula or like a universal formula to get the accurate price feed for, for certain aspect, assets just because they, they move around so much, but also like the, the markets can be quite disconnected at times. Um, so a, a lot of these Oracle exploits that people blame on the Oracle provider, I, I feel like at least a decent portion of them aren't really um a problem that the oracle provider caused rather than you know like internal risk management or figuring out how to interpret data for, from the oracle provider yeah i think um at least on solana a lot of the recent exploits or like the headline or ones in 22 they were like on the surface oracle related but when you start like peeling back a couple layers you realized it was it's not just because the Oracle gave out a bad price. Like there's a lot of other steps uh, in how they designed their protocol that led to different issues. Um, yeah. So is there anything that margin Phi is developing or in the works that, you know, ad additional features, additional use cases, stuff like that, that you, you think may gain adoption or sort of change the, the landscape on at least Solana, uh, how people interact with DeFi? Yeah. So our most recent launch was uh, we made a liquid staking token. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's different about this is uh, it's like totally focused on just like highest yield possible. Mm -hmm. So um, it's actually it's kind of cool because all of the LSTs on Solana um, or I'd say like 90% of them are built on the same like stake pool contract. And mm -hmm. what that lets you do is there's this like big pool of Solana called Sanctum. 
And what they do is you can take like any LST then and you can instantly redeem it for soul. Um, mm -hmm. Since they're all the same contract, it's not like uh, it's not like on ETH where you get these like liquidity modes with different LSTs. Yeah. So um, because of this deposit that's on Sanctum, it's not you don't have like this Lido situation where like mm -hmm. Lido's the most liquid LST yeah. and then like no one's gonna compete with that. Um, so because of that, we could just like launch uh, an LST without like any bootstrapping, and it's like mm -hmm. already in the main pool and there's like. Uh, I don't know, a couple hundred K that's getting borrowed against on there. Um, but I think what's going to happen with LSTs on Solana is they're going to become uh, like specialized in a way because you won't have that like liquidity mode. Yeah, I think it's going to get like way more specialized. And so the like niche we went for was just performance. And the way we did that is it basically it just sticks to three validators. Um, and if you look at like the Solana validator comparison, like all three of them are like uh, or actually it really only sticks to two um they're like in the top 20 top 10 of performance all the time uh -huh. and then those validators take zero commission and then the stake pool takes zero commission because okay. normally what you get is like your lst it's going to stake to like you know 100 validators uh -huh. because it's like decentralized which is good um and then all those validators they take like eight percent and then the lst provider takes like another six percent so uh -huh. you're getting like very variable performance and you're getting clipped on fees like by a ton of different providers mm -hmm. whereas this one it's like we're gonna give you like the best yield and then like nothing's getting squeezed out of that so you get like the experience of just vanilla staking with like a best validator but then it's like liquid so uh, -huh. uh just did that uh it's like it's yielding like eight percent on an lst and like most of the other ones are like mid sixes so it's actually like mm -hmm. a pretty significant bump yeah. um but but that was more of like uh that's not like a huge lift of a product to build. That was actually pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, so we did that. And then uh, we're looking to do a stable coin as well. So like mm -hmm. yield bearing stable coin off of the staking emissions. So kind of like a like Libra type thing. Um, okay. But that could be like minted against your existing deposits in margin fi. Um, so so the, the yield comes from the, the, the Solana staking? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah okay okay yeah and that's uh like on eth it's like uh it's like four-ish percent but on solana yeah. right like ours is doing like 8.2 percent so when uh -huh. that's like over collateralized right then you have like that much yield going to a smaller amount of stable coins it should be like pretty compelling and that's like very sustainable like real yield uh yeah. coming from those emissions so very excited about that that's in the works. And then uh, as we see like more perp dexes get liquidity, we'll bring back the prime offering. Mm -hmm. um, so like Drift's been doing really well recently, yep. um, but you don't like need, you, you need like another venue to cross margin it against for the original yeah. one. Uh, so a, as we see like Mango or uh, like someone else like that pick up, then uh, we can bring that back. And then there's like a bunch of cool like funding mm -hmm. rate uh, strategies, stuff like that you can do, uh, with margin five. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the general state of Solana decentralized finance right now? Um, so, so like a recap of the, the past few years, basically a, a lot of the, the initial Solana decentralized finance was, I wouldn't say incentivized, but it was funded by like Almeida Ventures, FTX. A lot of the projects were that their seed rounds were, were bought up by, by them. Um, like one of the one of the the easiest ways, at least most people I know, that got assets on Solana was essentially to use the FTX exchange as a bridge. You deposit whatever asset on on FTX, you could withdraw it on 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 Solana. Uh, other than that, um, I, I guess you would use like the, the the Ren bridge, which is now non-existent for for BTC. You could use Wormhole. So it seems like after the FTX collapse, at least um, Solana as a whole fell off quite a bit in terms of TVL, but also in, in terms of like the, the users moving to other chains, losing belief in Solana. And then I feel like in the past maybe six to nine months, there's been like quite a bit of resurgence on Solana uh, projects that may, maybe launched after FTX or weren't funded by, by FTX or uh, Almeida. Um, 
obviously like the valuations of Solana and like the VC money isn't nearly what it used to be, but it feels like there, there are quite a few projects that are developing on Solana that like you said at the beginning, realize that Solana operationally speaking is a superior chain at least in its current form than a majority, if not all the other layer ones that are being used right now in terms of speed, speed, thoroughput fees, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, just, I guess, talk a little bit about like the, the current state of decentralized finance in Solana, um, maybe some like other protocols outside margin fi that you like, or you're bullish on that may, you know, gain market share or provide like a unique, uh, decentralized finance experience that you can't really have anywhere else. Yeah, so I definitely agree there's been a, a resurgence of sorts um, because I think there's like a, a handful of teams that uh, like after everything blew up, like they were still they're still building and they they weren't like funded by FTX, like you were saying. And that just take mm -hmm. it just took like a little bit for that to become more apparent. So I think we're seeing it. Um, I think there's like this cult around Solana's tech at this point and people yeah. who like refuse to build anywhere else because they have just enough conviction in uh, what Solana can do. And so um, I think that kind of explains the recent traction, but I don't think that uh, th it's without headwinds. So I think the obvious one is like liquidity. Um, mm -hmm. One of the big blockers to that is the, it's like quite hard to bridge to Solana, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, like if you want to like move, you know, 10 K of USDC, that, that's like pretty straightforward, but, uh, to like really grow a DeFi ecosystem, you need like much larger players and mm -hmm. moving like any significant amount of liquidity is surprisingly hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think that with, uh, like circles, CCTP, and then like layer zero, both of those integrations are slotted. So, um, I think the circle one should definitely be happening this year. The layer zero one. Uh, I've been hearing it's going to happen for like, I don't know, 16 months now or something. So I'm kind of <laughs> like, if it happens, I'll be stoked, but I don't yeah. know if it is happening. Um, so there's like the bridging environment. And then uh, I think the biggest thing, though, is uh, it's in a very primitive phase because basically all of the primitives were made by like the Macchianos back in fall of 21 and then they yeah. all broke. And so now everyone's like remaking primitives. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the joke is like, oh, all you can do on Solana is like stake and lend soul, which there's like some truth to that, but I think mm -hmm. that, that that will change. Um, so yeah, I think like the two big things that need to happen are one, um, like start making a bit more exotic or interesting of protocols and then Two, like kind of the the main driver with that is like people need to launch tokens for these things mm -hmm. um, because right now there's like uh, like all of these like 2.0 protocols or like the ones you've probably been seeing on Twitter like uh, Gito, Camino, Drift, like none mm -hmm. of them have tokens. And yeah. uh, when like every project elsewhere has a token and like none of the ones on Solana do, it's quite hard to compete for that mind share just because people want to be able to align yeah. incentives with teams. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, yeah, so uh, to expand on the whole bridging aspect, I feel like one of the reasons why Solana doesn't gain a, a larger market share is, like you said, the, the whole bridging moving assets there is kind of difficult to do. Um, so if you look at, say, Ethereum, um, if, if you look at all the orthogonal layer ones or even the layer twos, they're all essentially the... the the same virtual machine, right? They're, they're all EVM compatible. So like if, if you want to deposit, you know, a, whatever asset onto a bridge to use on another chain, you're, you're using the, the, the same wallet. You, you just like look up the same asset on, on, on the, the other chain and the, the process is a bit seamless. Um, do you think there uh, is or should be a solution coming out uh, for Solana that draws these users that I feel like basically don't have, you know, like the, the time or energy or, or the want to figure out how to bridge and more importantly, I guess, bridge securely um, from other chains of Solana to use the, the protocols on Solana? Yeah, so there's a few things there. So I think there's the the new bridges like we were talking about um mm -hmm. that should help liquidity quite a bit and then i think there's just like some more kind of ux type things to do um 
So like one of them is there's like MetaMask support for Solana now with this like mm -hmm. snap feature. Um, and I think that helps because otherwise like people might have to make a new wallet. Um, a lot of the other wallets though, they're like multi-chain at this point. Yeah. So if you're using like Coinbase or OKX or something like that, like it'll support both out the gate. Um, but yeah, I think it's like bridge liquidity is a big problem. And then I think people will bridge because like if you go to like Arbitrum from ETH, like, yeah, it's still EVM and it's settling to ETH, but like really you, you just bridge to another chain more or less. Like it's mm -hmm. like from a user perspective, right? Like you're, you're still sending funds somewhere else and waiting a few minutes. Like it doesn't matter if it's like Arbitrum or Solana. Um, yeah. Like, yes, the token standards will be different. And so, but I think that's something that can be like solved with better UX. So I, mm -hmm. I'm, a little bit less worried about that, like user pattern. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think the, I, I guess there's like a current rage right now in crypto for like a, a multi-chain e ecosystem or a cross-chain ecosystem where where people b are building protocols that not only interact with like the native chain that they're on, but can interact with like various other chains. And I, I think I think um, uh, the lend borrow space. It is a great exa example of this where you can deposit just like a little, um, collateral on, on one chain, but if you need liquidity on another chain, um, you can use that collateral as collateral on another chain and borrow assets from the, that other chain. And I feel like that's a pretty big use case just because liquidity right now is a bit fragmented and um, to a point where the, the, I, I feel like there are going to be quite a few layer ones or layer twos, whatever you want to call them, that gain some sort of market share, especially if we go into um, another bull run, like all the action isn't going to be on ETH layer one. I mean, we've seen that in the past and I think we'll, we'll see it in the future. So um, has MarginFi ever considered um, either going cross chain or building their platform on say like another chain? Yeah, I think we've uh, we've been considering it for a while now, just mm -hmm. because uh, I think it is pretty clear like where the liquidity is today. And so uh, we haven't started developing anything elsewhere, but I, I think it's like kind of a constant consideration uh, mm -hmm. just because there's like a lot more money flowing through some of these other ones. I do think in the long run though, it'll probably be, I, I think like, I, I don't see how you can have like, you know, 50 or a hundred L2s and like yeah. all of the, these there aren't all people. ones. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I feel like a lot of them got to go to zero and yeah. it'll just be like the kind of core L2s and then Solana and then maybe Cosmos keeps surviving because it mm -hmm. just refuses to go away. But I, yeah. I do think that like 22, 23, there's just been so much like infrastructure investment and yeah. these VCs get away with like, funding things at, you know, 200 million and then opening them at 10 billion. Uh, and I, I really hope that that pattern can stop because if you look at like the usage of these new chains, like just no one is even yeah. like wanting to try them out at all. So I, I hope the market yeah. starts to like relax to this, but they seem to keep getting away with it. So I don't know. Yeah. I imagine there'll be consolidation. Yeah, uh, I feel like the, the, that that was the thesis for a lot of these venture funds in the, in the past few years was to invest in these, you know, technologically um, advanced layer ones or layer twos at like lower valuations. Um, and, and then I, I think if you look at the user activity, so, so like one, one thing I've always considered is the the, the baseline uh, technology of any chain doesn't or almost never equates to its success as a chain like the the chain with the best technology doesn't have the most users or it, it doesn't have like the, the the biggest ecosystem built around it there, there are like tons of other factors that contribute it to a point where like the the actual technology just because like a lot especially like if you're talking about ethereum ethereum rollups a lot of them like there are minute differences in the the roll-up technology that change like a small amount of the, like the, the, the fee structure or whatever you want to call it but like to the end user um 
they probably can't distinguish like one layer two rollup from another just by by using it and thinking that this one is better than this one. It's it's essentially what's built on the the layer two or, or layer one, and how many people are using it, and if it's like profitable or fun or if there's some use case that draws uh, users there. Yeah, I do think. Uh the performance isn't enough and i know i like opened this with like the solana performance <laughs> pitch but i do think solana has like really cemented itself as uh like the the uh the strongest contestant and i think that's like a testament to the community there and uh the builder ecosystem like right, right now when people talk about base layers it's like bitcoin eth and solana it's not like yeah Bitcoin ETH Arbitrum or Bitcoin yeah. ETH and Say or something. So I, I do think that like if someone's gonna uh, get that kind of traction, it'll be Solana. Um, so that's the bet there. But yeah, I, I think the the other thing is like Solana is like a hundred x on Ethereum in terms of like speed fees. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think it's like arguably more decentralized at this point too. Maybe I don't want to open that discussion, but yeah. Um, so it's like a, a massive, massive increase, right? And then, yeah. like, you know, DeFi roll-up app chain number 24 pops up and it's like, oh, it's like 5% cheaper. It's like, ah, like, why, why yeah. would you really care? There's nothing you could do there. So uh, it's like these marginal improvements versus like step function ones that I think make all of these newer ones a lot less compelling. Does, uh, does Solana still get quite a bit of hate for, I mean, quote unquote, being centralized? Uh, I, I feel like I feel like it's it's just such a stupid metric. Like when people talk about it, because the the way people talk about it, it's it's like a binary thing. You're either centralized or you're not, which like it, it isn't the case, right? It, it, every chain is somewhat centralized and and somewhat decentralized, depending on exactly how it works. And I don't feel like you can assign you know like a, a label of Solana is centralized, Ethereum is decentralized with good faith. Yeah, it still gets quite a bit of hate because people say the like validator specs are cost prohibitive. Um, and it's not like cheap to run a Solana validator because you need mm -hmm. like, uh, I think you can do it for someone has a new offering where it's like 250 a month for the for the box. And then it's like one soul per epoch voting. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know, these people are like, oh, you should be able to like run Ethereum on a toaster. And then like the problem <laughs> is like, you have fucking like Lido has 30%. Yeah. Uh, and then like the block builders are uh, like censoring Tornado uh -huh. Cash transactions. Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm running ETH on my Apple Watch, but I can't send the transaction I want to because it's like being censored by US entities. So I think there's like a ton of virtue signaling there. Um, so yeah, like the TLDR is like Solana is getting easier to run a validator on every day. And mm -hmm. uh, I think ETH is becoming increasingly centralized by mm -hmm. a couple of different forces, both on yeah. the liquid staking and MEV side. Yeah. Um, and then even if you look at like uh, some of these other like EVM ones, like if you look at, uh, I remember Phantom, you needed it like eight figures of tokens to run a validator yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like. I don't know. That doesn't. Feel yeah, I remember looking at Phantom once, and uh, I, I think like um, I, one of my friends who was like really into Phantom told me that basically like a third of the the validators were basically at one point just run by the same person or the the, the same entity. So I, I mean, like it, it's it's also difficult. That's another thing I feel like it's also difficult to determine um, decentralization just by like number of validators, just because you don't know like how many entities own certain parts of the chain yeah definitely um so a few more questions before we uh call the day um going back to the lsts on solana i feel like the the lsd game at least on solana has taken off like quite a bit surprisingly um for me at least in in the past few months um there are quite a few more and not only that there seems to be like a legitimate decentralized finance ecosystem built around them um how do you see this all playing out uh with so many of them popping up and attempting to gain market share do you are you bullish on like one or two or how do you see the whole landscape uh, ending 
Yeah, so it definitely, I think that has been kind of the the story of the last few months. Um, and I think it's super important for Solana because uh, you have like so much money just staked in validators. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you have like all that locked up, like you can't have other activity uh, going on with those tokens. And so I think like the use case for LSTs is pretty clear. And then kind of the way it, started to get exciting was uh there's this like bsol uh which mm-hmm. is like maybe the fifth largest one i want to say mm-hmm. um they did an airdrop and they have some like uh interesting mechanisms around that uh and then there's like Gito soul obviously mm-hmm. is the big one who's now i think number two in tvl on solana um mm-hmm. and then uh yeah like the thing with Gito is they unlock this um they made like the whole uh, like Mev tip marketplace mm-hmm, on Solana, yeah. and then originally like only Gito Soul holders uh, got those rewards. But now it's it's funny because like all of the LSTs, uh, pretty much all of them are getting Mev right now. But Gito uh-huh. has like the branding very secured on that, yeah. so uh, it's funny. It, actually, like some of them will will outperform Gito, but people think that mm-hmm. like Gito is the only one getting Mev. So. Uh, as far as like how I see it playing out, I do think that uh, liquidity is fairly commoditized. Um, some people definitely have like, like Gito and Marinade have more liquidity than others. And there's like mm-hmm. some benefits to that. But I do think that we'll see um, like increasingly specialized LSTs for different use cases. So mm-hmm. um, there's like what we're doing, which is like just like a raw performance use case. Um, mm-hmm. There's one called like Dow Soul that stakes to just like community run validators. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if that's going to like change the world, but I think it showcases that like you can have LSTs that like fit different niches. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's super important for the chain, but I also think it's going to um, be kind of a race to zero and get commoditized yeah. um, and be more of like a public good than anything. Yeah, I guess that that was my next question. Do, do you think with like all these popping up, um, it's just going to be like a race to the bottom for people to provide, you know, a, um, an LST with lower fees, sharing more of the, the MEV revenue, basically one-upping the the current top player in, in order to, to gain market share to a point where I guess it's, it's going to be good for the end user. Um, but in general, like you can always reduce fees. You can always make something slightly better in order to, to one up your competition. Yeah, that's that's kind of the experiment we started because we just like came out the gate and just like slashed everything to zero. Um, and we're, we're getting traction so far. Um, uh-huh. I do think that like there's a bigger user education problem with LSTs because I think like mm-hmm. Uh, some people like still don't even know what like MSOL is, much mm-hmm. less like how Gito Soul is different from like B Soul or something like that. So yeah. I think that uh, while like the the builders in the ecosystem love to like debate these small tweaks between the different ones, there's still like a lot of people who don't even know like why they should care about these in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, there's like. Uh, I think there's like bigger problems to solve on that front, but I I do think we're like trying this uh, just like zero everything out thing, and uh-huh. uh, we'll see how that see how it goes from there. All right, well, one final question before I let you go today: um, Are there any projects or protocols outside of Margin Fi on on Solana that you're especially I guess bullish on, but but also possibly have like uh, founders that may be good guests for future podcasts we do. Yeah, uh, so definitely the Gito team. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a really interesting background. Um, they've gotten uh, a ton of traction on the DeFi side with their LST, um, like being number two now. But it's also like that's not really their core product. So. Um, overall, really cool team. Uh, their founder, Lucas, was like a searcher on ETH before. Um, mm-hmm. So I think he has some pretty cool stories from that. And then the Drift team is really cool too. Um, they have like one of the best perp dexes, I think. And uh, their founders were like traders at different prop funds and banks mm-hmm. before. So uh, they have cool backgrounds. And then um, I think uh, Camino's doing some interesting stuff as well. Uh, uh, taking like 
that's like kind of a kind of an only possible on Solana use case as well. They're like rebalancing they're doing on different AMMs. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like they're like, it's much more profitable for users, much less in permanent loss than just like yeah. if you just deposited and left there. So pretty cool product yeah. there as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's something you definitely can't do on Ethereum just because like the, the transaction fees would, I mean, you would have to do mass amounts of volume to counteract the, the transaction fees for like one simple rebalance. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, I, I could go on about the fees thing, but I, I think that that's like an <laughs> underexplored space. I think there's like a lot of cool things people. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, I definitely about. agree. Like if, if you have a like a very fast chain that has very low fees, like the, the possibilities of what you can build are are far, far greater than like a, a chain that's constrained by both throughput and like the, the user fees. Yeah, definitely. All right. I think that's all we have for today. Um, before we let you go, you want to let the, the listeners or watchers um, know where to find you? Yeah. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at, uh, at MarginFi. And then we've got uh, like site link there and uh, Telegram and stuff. So yeah, at MarginFi on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Oh, and one other question, because I, I've actually had this issue. If, if someone wanted to use MarginFi, but aren't involved in Solana right now, but are like, let's say like an Ethereum user, like an Arbitrum Ethereum Layer 2 user, uh, what, what's the process? What, what's the best way to, you know, uh, move assets over? Um, what's the best wallet? Um, stuff like that, in your, in your opinion. Yeah, I would just get, uh, I would just get Phantom Wallet, honestly. Um, uh, and then what you can do is if you, once you have that, like all set up, if you go to our site, we have like a bridge in the mm-hmm. app, uh, and it's like super, super nice to use. It's not like the old wormhole portal UI. I don't know if you guys have used that, but that thing oh, I've used that. Yeah. The, yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to use that ever again. Uh, so yeah, we have like a bridge in the app and you can, uh, you can bridge like ETH and stables and. Uh, you could actually, you can like bridge like ETH on say Arbitrum and it'll swap it to Solana for you, like with the mm-hmm. best routing it can find, um, like while it's bridging. So, uh, definitely try out like the bridge we have in our app and yeah, I just get phantom and, uh, play around from there. All right, cool. I appreciate your time. Um, we, we hope to have more guests on in the future, um, with Solana ecosystem projects where, uh, we're chain agnostic here. We, we we talk to basically people developing on all chains, and we're um, we're we're actually pretty happy with the the people that are building on Solana and doing good stuff there. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Happy you guys are like open to hearing about new things, and yeah, hopefully we can get uh, some more Solana adoption going. Mm-hmm.